Psalm 22. If possible, I didn't say this was the regular occasion, regular occurrence, but if possible, I'd like to have a pretty good handle on what I'm preaching on Sunday by midweek. Uh, when God's really moving on my heart, sometimes I'm, I'm ahead a week or two. Lately, that's not been the case. This week, I didn't hit that mark. I had two or three different messages that I began that got into it, and God said, not yet on this one, put this one in a series, junk this one completely, this is a terrible message, you're doing a terrible job. Um, You know, I had several (laughs) different message experiences like that this week. And so going into Friday, going into Friday, I had nothing. Now, that's happened before. But it gets really nerve-wracking when you go into Saturday and still don't know what to preach. I went into Friday evening and into Saturday morning, and when I say no idea, I mean nothing. I had messages. God wouldn't let me mess with those. Now think about this. If you've been in my study, you know that I have in the neighborhood about 3,000 books in there. I have this book, most importantly, with 66 divisions in it. There's something to preach. It's kind of like having a TV with 1,000 channels and there's nothing on. Well, that's how I felt. I've got all of these resources at my disposal, and God's not saying anything to me. Nothing. Then, early Saturday morning, Friday into Saturday, I marked the time, 12.24 a.m. I marked the time. God's Holy Spirit gave me a thought. I'm not trying to sound spooky, but he gave me a thought, and here was the thought. I was not hearing God's voice. And rather than that being the problem, though it can be, it was meant to be the message. That you can't hear me right now is not the problem. It's the message. What do I mean by that? There are people all across this room maybe watching online, that either you've experienced this in the past or you're going through it right now. You desperately want and maybe even need to hear from God, and you feel like he's silent. We've all been there, and if you haven't been there, you will be. You know, in my own experience, I don't like being rebuked of God, but I prefer that to God being silent, because at least he's speaking to me. It's like with my wife. I'd rather fight it out. It's that that old comedian's line, don't ever go to bed angry, stay up and fight. 
I'd much, it's when she doesn't say anything that I know I am in serious, serious trouble. When she goes silent, when there's radio silence, I dive the lowest I possibly can to get away from danger and potential hospitalization. (laughs) I'd rather she rebuke me. Now, Psalm 22 is an interesting psalm. It was penned by David, and we have no idea when he wrote it, what the circumstances around it was. In fact, we look at it, and we say, you know what? David could not have possibly even experienced a lot of this. He wrote about something he didn't even experience. Now, that that can be a little troubling until you consider it's a messianic psalm. It is meant to be a prophecy about Jesus. He wouldn't have known anything about crucifixion. It hadn't been invented yet. The Phoenicians invented it much later. What we do know about Psalm 22 is that it presented some 33 prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus at Calvary. So God is inspiring David to write about something, most of which he knows nothing about. But that's the nature of inspiration. You don't have to know about it for God to use you to write it. See? But what God inspires David to write describes the death of Jesus in more detail than all of the gospel writers combined. It begins with a cry that we ultimately hear from Jesus on the cross some thousand years later, recorded in Matthew 27. Let's read verse number 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Verse 2 always elicits a smile from me because it represents an argument that my son had with me. It starts out, oh, my God. And I read it in devotion, and my son stopped me right there. Dad, you're not allowed to say that. Say what? Oh, my God. By the way, let me just remind you, it's a sin to take God's name in vain. Always has been, always will be. And I I tried to explain to him, son, David is actually speaking to God. He's, He's not using his name in vain. I couldn't get him off of it. Dad, you shouldn't say that. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime. Watch this. But thou... Hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent, speaking of himself. David could experience certain aspects of, of Psalm 22, and certainly these first two verses he, could, he would and did experience in some of his flights from Absalom and Saul and so forth. And so we're going to limit our look to these two verses to start off with. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not and in the night season and am not silent. The psalm goes on to be 21 verses of vexation, but it ends with 10 verses of victory. 
It's been said that Psalm 22 goes from sobbing to singing. I want to focus on those first two verses to start off with because they display the mindset of so many today and perhaps even some that are here. What should we do when we encounter what we believe to be the silence of God? The silence of God. Gracious Father, would you speak to us this morning and teach us, encourage us, convict us, whatever needs to happen today, would you do it in us? If there's somebody here that needs to trust Christ as their Savior, I pray they do that. Whatever needs to happen, oh God, may there be authentic movement of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. And may we just see what you will do when we get out of your way. And in all of it, may Jesus be lifted up and made much of. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. The silence of God. You ever been there? Have you ever had a a, a time in your life that you felt like that God wasn't speaking? Because what happens is the next step with that, when God isn't speaking, you assume he's not listening. And now we know that's not the case, but we feel that way sometimes, don't we? God must not be listening, and if God's not listening, then God doesn't care. And if God doesn't care, then I'm of all men most miserable. You see how it can go down that path when God's silent. So the first thing we've got to ask ourselves is, why? If God seems to be silent in my life, I need to find out why. I've heard preachers say, you should never say, ask God why. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. It's okay to question God's ways, just never question his wisdom. It's okay to ask why, just never ask God what right have you. There's a big difference. But you know what? The fact is, there's sometimes we need an answer as to why, because if we don't find out the why, we can never get better. Right? Why is God silent? There's two basic reasons that you might perceive the silence of God in your life. Here's the first one. It's a matter of correction. It's a matter of correction. It could be that God is silent in your life because he is trying to correct something in your life that needs to be fixed. Can I give you some examples? We understand that if if we have unconfessed sin, that will get God's silence, won't it? Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There is a a break in fellowship. You understand that a break in fellowship does not mean a break in relationship. My my wife and I were married on October the 10th, 2009. Since that day, since we were pronounced husband and wife in the sight of God and those witnesses, we have never stopped being married. But have we been out of fellowship from time to time within that relationship? And the answer is yes. There have been times in those, in those intervening, intervening years, there have been times that Crystal did wrong. <laughs> Me and Brother Vaught, we're just going sti- to park here for a little while, shall we? We'll both get in trouble together. No. 
There have been times, usually it's me, that I did wrong and got silence. And things needed to be corrected. And that takes us to the next one. Sometimes God is silent because there's marital disharmony. Hmm? God's interested in your marriage, friends. First Peter chapter 3. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Did you know all through the New Testament when Paul or Peter or one of the apostles says something about wives being in subjection, it's always to your own husbands. Apparently, in the early days of the church, they had to stipulate your husband, not somebody else's. You say, well, that's kind of jokey and silly. No, but let me remind you of this. I don't have any authority in the life of any of these ladies here. Not beyond as a pastor in this setting. I'm about up to here with preachers, some of my brethren, that try to exert authority over families that they don't have. That was for free. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. He's talking about husbands that are unsaved. Well, they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. What's that saying? That's saying if you've got an unsaved husband, the best thing you can do is live Jesus in front of them. Now, let me say this. The Bible does not, the Bible does not advocate for women staying in an abusive situation or a repeatedly sinful situation. Okay? This doesn't mean that your, your husband can beat the daylights out of you because Peter said so. That's not what he's saying. But if you've got a husband away from God, and it would work conversely as well, if you're a husband whose wife is away from God or not saved or whatever, best thing you can do is live Jesus in front of them. Easy preaching. Hard living. And sometimes people take verse 3 uh, to mean that women shouldn't wear gold or braid their hair. It says, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair or of wearing of gold. Well, that's not what he's saying either because he goes on to say, or of putting on of apparel. Read, read the Bible as it's written. He's talking about attitudes. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. I probably should have cut these verses out. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Different culture. I'm not telling you ladies to call your husbands Lord. But there's an attitude here that he's talking about. Whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, I go through all that to set context for verse number seven. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. What does that mean? I just can't figure out my wife. I gave up trying. Then you're wrong. Because the Bible clearly says you're to dwell with them according to knowledge. You are meant to figure them out. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But you're meant to figure them out. Put forth the effort, fellas. Don't just write your, write your wife off as being a lady and I can't figure it out. I'll just go ahead and be my own ignorant self. Nope. Figure it out. Right? But it goes on to say this. Likewise, your husbands, man, I'm going to get all kinds of trouble in this passage. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. You understand weaker in the King James English does not mean does not mean what it means now. It means priceless. 
It means fine and beautiful and worthy of handling with care. Because you and I both know there's a whole bunch of women in here that are stronger than a whole bunch of these men. That's not what it's talking about. It's being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, all of that, all of that, the first seven verses all leads to this one phrase. Ladies, you're supposed to be in the right relationship with your husband. Husband, you're supposed to be in the right relationship with your wife. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. There may need to be a correction in the matter of unconfessed sin. God may be silent because there needs to be a correction in marital disharmony. How about impure motives? James 4 verse 3, ye ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. I've been praying for the Family Life Center for years now. And I've had to go back and ask God over and over again, Lord, am I asking for the wrong reasons? And and, and my heart before God, I truly believe I'm asking for the right reasons. Let me tell you, there's a lot of pastors out there that ask God for things so they can build empires and build notoriety and all of that. That would not be the right motive. And if I'm asking God for things because it benefits me or because I have an impure motive, then guess what? I'm I'm going to encounter silence. The silence of God could be because of unconfessed sin, impure motives, marital disharmony, Or it could be, watch this one, ignored instructions. God told you to do something, you ignored him. And now you expect him to tell you something else. You know, it's a good example of that, Jonah. You know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah was not an allegory. Jonah was a real person. You believe he got swallowed by a whale? I sure do. Well, the book of Jonah says a great fish. Yeah, and Jesus Jesus said a whale. So which is it? Back then, they didn't make a distinction. It was a big water animal. And you believe that it swallowed Jonah and he lived for three days in there? I do. Why? Because God said that's what happened. Just like he said he created everything we see in six literal 24-hour days. Just like he said, if if you crucify me, I'll rise again. And he did it. I believe it all. If I don't believe it all, I shouldn't believe any of it. That was free too. What What happened? God gave Jonah some pretty clear instructions. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah hightails it the opposite direction, gets on a boat, gets out into the Mediterranean, ignores God's instructions. What happens? Here comes a storm. And you see in this storm that the people of the world, the sailors, get more religious than Jonah was. Jonah's asleep. Finally, they deduce that Jonah's the problem. They throw Jonah in the water. Jonah gets swallowed by the whale. He stays in there for three days. He prays. Finally, God speaks. But he doesn't speak to Jonah. Did you notice that? God says nothing to Jonah again, even in the fish's belly, until he obeys. And even then, when God speaks first, he speaks to the fish and says, put him up on dry land. Then, Jonah's in a position to obey again, and God speaks to him. You know what he says? Same thing he said before. First, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. Oh, God, thank you for delivering me from the fish. What would you have me to do? Same thing I said before, Jonah. 
Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. I haven't changed my mind, Jonah. I haven't changed my mind. And there's a whole lot of Christians out there that they're, oh God, show me, speak to me, lead me, guide me, and you haven't bothered to obey what he already said to do. I need God to speak to me. Have you read your Bible lately? I need God to speak to me. But, man, I've missed you at church. I need God to speak to me, even though I'm watching things I shouldn't and listening to things I shouldn't and involved in things I shouldn't be involved in. I mean, yeah, I've not listened to God in those, but, but I'll listen to him if he gives me something good. Hmm? If there's something that frustrates me more than anything else, it is when people get mad at me when I tell them exactly what the Bible says and they, they don't do it, but then it's, it's, it's somehow God's fault that things didn't turn out. Preacher, are you mad? Nope. But I'm in a godly snit. If you're not obeying what God has already told you, don't expect him to speak something new into your life. Hmm? See, it could be the silence of God is a matter of correction. There's unconfessed sin. There's marital discord. There's impure motives. There's ignored instructions. And if that's the case, if God has been silent, the very first thing you do is start examining if this is a matter of correction. But sometimes it's not correction. Sometimes it's a matter of perfection. What does that mean? God's working on you. And he's, he's working on things, and he's making you more mature. He's making you more like Jesus. Listen to this. Silence. While possibly punitive, it can be a matter of correction, it can be a matter of punishment, silence never indicates insensitivity, indifference, or inactivity on the part of God. Just because he's silent doesn't mean that he doesn't still care. It doesn't mean that he's not still engaged in your life, and it doesn't mean that he's not still active. He's just silent. Why is that important to know? Because the devil's going to try to tell you that his silence means all of those things. The devil's going to try to tell you, oh, you're not hearing from him because he doesn't care anymore, if he ever did. He's not engaged in your life. He's too busy with somebody over there. And, And you know what? He's not active. He's just letting you just whatever happens, happens. Don't believe the devil. Sometimes the silence of God is him teaching, building, or maturing you. A good example of this, if a good example of correction would be Jonah, a good example of perfection would be the Canaanite woman who had the demon-possessed daughter. Would you hold your place here and turn to Matthew 15? Matthew 15. It's a good example of this. Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Oh, God, have mercy on me. My daughter's possessed. My daughter's possessed of an evil spirit. Verse 23, but he answered her not 
a word. Now, I've heard people say he ignored her. Nope, that's not what it says. He's engaged. He's not indifferent. He just didn't say anything. Can I tell you that has, from personal experience, that has been one of the toughest disciplines of my Christian life is not knowing the right thing to say. It's knowing when to keep my fat mouth shut. It can be hard sometimes. Well, Jesus never struggled with that. He always knew when it was wise to remain silent. And that's what he's doing here. He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and saw him saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, a lot of people mistakenly think he's speaking to her there. He's not. He's speaking to his disciples in her presence, but he's speaking to them. He still hasn't said anything to her. He remained silent. Then came she, and what? What'd she do? Worshipped him. What did Jesus' silence do in her life? She went from begging him to worshiping him. What's his silence meant to do for us? To go from begging and pleading to worshiping. And she says, Lord, help me. Now he speaks to her. He answered and said, it's not me to take the children's bread to cast it to dogs. She said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. He only said this twice, and he said it to Gentiles both times. Great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very, that very hour. Look at her example. She had done no wrong. She came to the right man for sure. Her request is not selfish, but Jesus is teaching her and using his silence to bring her to a place of worship. And it could be, friend, that God's silence is not that you've done wrong. It's not that you're being corrected. God is using his silence to bring you to a place of deeper Worship. Okay. So we've answered the first question. Why? It could be a matter of correction. It could be a matter of perfection. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to tell you which that is today. It could be both. So we've asked why. Now the second question. All right, what do we do about it? Well, we figured out why. It's a matter of perfection or it's a matter of correction. But what do I do now? I I can't go on like this forever. I need God speaking into my life. What do I do? Go back to Psalm 22. What do I do? Now, first of all, before we get into Psalm 22, the first thing you do, if you need to, is repent. If there's sin in your life, it's time to repent. Let me park here for a second because there's not enough preaching about repentance. Repentance is not remorse. It's not being sorry that you got caught. It's not being sorry that you're going to face consequences. It's not all shucks, God, you figured me out. No, repentance is seeing your sin the way God sees it and being horrified by it. 
And we've got a whole lot of Christians out there, people that are on their way to heaven, but they sin and they blow it off. Well, none of us are perfect, are we? It's not really a big deal. Yes, it is. Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin is never not a big deal. And if there's sin in your life, friend, it could be, it could be something as simple as, man, I, I've been gossiping. I haven't been as in tune with the Lord as I should be. I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and call out a, a litany of sins. We've all got them. And if you listen to the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you what they are. What should I do? Repent. Don't you, don't you dare put on a show and think you're going to fool God. That's not going to happen. But you come to a realization of what your, God, what, what your sin does to offend a holy God, and you beg him for forgiveness, and you turn from it. Repent. Well, will he forgive me? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Yes, he'll forgive you. Repent. But then we look to David's writing here. Well, what do we do next? Number two, refocus. Refocus on what? Worse all, refocus on who God is. Look at verse three. Verse two, he says, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I'm not silent, but thou art holy. Oh, thou that inhabitest the praises of of Israel. Sometimes we're in a mess because we've just forgotten who God is. Don't just focus on who he is, focus on what he's done. Look at verse number four. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. You helped them, you blessed them, you met their need and you're no respecter of persons. Oh God, I gotta believe if I'm right with you, you'll help me too. Refocus on who he is and what he's done. You know what else you need to do? You need to reinforce. You need to reinforce. We put together a trampoline for our kids. If any of you ever had a trampoline, you know that they're great, except for one real problem. Good enough wind comes through, they become flying saucers. And so it was put together perfectly. But you know what we had to do? We had to do some things that would reinforce it. In this particular case, Brother Davies bent some rebar for me, and we drove that rebar deep into the ground that that thing might not go anywhere. We got a lot of Christians out there that they're trying to do right, but they're completely lacking the reinforcement that drives their, their, their tent pegs down into the ground and keeps them where they're supposed to be. Look at verse 22. I will declare my name, I'm sorry, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Is David talking about Eliab and his other brothers? No. He's talking about his spiritual brothers, isn't he? Where do my spiritual brothers live? Richard, I ain't seen you in forever. I'm here every Sunday. 
I'm not against visiting people. I'm just saying, if you really need me, I'm, you know where to find me. I'm here. I'll never forget the kid that saw me at Walmart and said, hey, you live at my church. I said, that's pretty much how it feels, yes. <laughs> my brethren are here. David said, I'm going to talk about the Lord to my brethren. Look at what he goes on to say. <laughs> In the midst of the what? Congregation. Will I praise thee? Now, David did not have any understanding of what we now know as the church. And the church did not begin until Pentecost. But I'll tell you what we see here. We see a foreshadowing of the church. We see David saying that it's important for me to be around other believers in, a, in an assembly talking about the Lord. Why? Because it reinforces me. How do I know that it reinforces me? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We love this verse. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but, uh, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That exhorting one another is encouraging one another. It's reinforcing one another. But don't forget verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. I need the church to reinforce me. I cannot be as strong a Christian as I should be without the house of God. I can't. And so many, so many people feel like God's being silent and they do the worst thing you can do. They isolate themselves from other believers instead of running to them. God may be being silent in your life, but you know what? He's not silent in everybody's life, so get around other people he's talking to. Man, I want to hear God's voice again. First of all, you repent. You refocus on who God is and what, he do, what he's done, you reinforce. Now, here's the next one. This may be the toughest one of all of them. You ready? Rejoice. But, Andy, I don't feel happy. I didn't say anything about how you feel, and I didn't say anything about happiness. Happiness is our response to positive circumstances. That's why it's called happiness. It's from happenings. Does God call upon us to always be happy? No. This morning, Miss Jeanette's brother went to heaven. Is she happy about that? No. Nor should she be. She's going to miss him. Their family's going to miss him. She's not happy, and she's not expected to be happy. Because that's a negative circumstance. Not for him, but for those he's left behind. But can she rejoice? Sure. Why? Because she knows where he is. She knows what he's enjoying, and she knows that this isn't the end. So what, is, what does it mean to have joy? What does it mean to rejoice? It means to decide that because of who God is, I am going to have my faith, my trust, my satisfaction, my confidence, my peace in the God that never makes a mistake. When God's silent, rejoice. Verse 23. Now remember, he's already talking about, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But what's he saying now in verse 23? Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. And all ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. 
and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. Yeah, I feel like he's quiet now, but I know he's heard me in the past. He'll hear me in the future. I don't know what's going on, but I know who God is, and I praise him. What do we do? We repent. We refocus. We reinforce. We rejoice. And then finally, verse 24, remember. I read that verse a second ago. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. What do I do when I really feel like God's being silent? I remember when I felt that way before. And you know what I remember about that? He's always showed back up. Why? Because he said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. There may be times of silence. It may be for your correction. It may be for your perfection. But I'm still there. It almost seems to be this, it's become a meme more than anything, but it's no less true. Most of the time when the teacher is giving a test, they're silent. And maybe there's a test in your life. He's silent. There have been times with my kids that I've let them pursue something and they thought they were alone. But they weren't. I was with them the whole time. When Clara was born, first time father, this will absolutely be Foster. I'm just calling it. She was born at a Catholic hospital in Richmond. There was never a second that she was out of my sight. And I know people that work in labor and delivery, like my wife, they're like, oh, not one of those. I, I get it. I do. But it was never a second she was out of my sight. Now, part of the reason for that was I was really concerned that I wouldn't be able to tell her apart from the other ones, and if I lost sight of her, that I wouldn't figure out which one was my kid, and I'd take the wrong one home. But, but it was more than that. They're just this, this paternal instinct welled up in me that dad needs to be there. Did Claire have any sense as a newborn that dad was that extra? No. And she didn't need to. Well, we got to take her to the nursery and do some things. There's a window, right? Yeah, okay, I'll follow you. And there I am at the window. And I know they rolled their eyes. I get it. My wife's in the industry. She knows. Now, Asher, 
I don't know where he is right now, to be honest with you. I... I don't know if that little newborn ever wondered if she was alone, but the point is she never was. You may think you're alone. You may think that God is indifferent. You may think that, that God has stopped caring. He's there. He's just silent. So now we have two things before us. Number one, we need to figure out why he's silent. Is this a matter of correction in my life? Are there some things that I need to get right with God? And if there are, it's true. You can do it right there. But let me tell you something. This right here is a great place to get things right with God. Well, I can do it here. That's true, you can. But there's a certain humility that comes with walking all the way down here to here. It could be that you can't hear him because you don't know him. It could very well be that somebody here or watching online, you do not hear the voice of God in your life because you have no avenue to hear him. You're not saved. I'm not trying to sow doubt into anybody. If you've trusted Christ, you're saved and on your way to heaven. Praise the Lord. But the fact is, if you have never realized you're a sinner and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation, you have no avenue to hear from God. Jesus said, year of your father, the devil. And he's the only one you're hearing from. So right now, what's happening is you're getting the only message from God as an unsaved person that you can get. The message that the Holy Spirit sends to unsaved people called conviction that says you need to be saved. If you've never trusted Christ, I'm not interested in parading you in front of people. I'm not interested in calling up all my preacher friends. I'm not interested in putting your picture on the internet. Look how many we got today. I don't care about any of that. I'm interested in you knowing that you're going to heaven when you die. That's all I care about. If you've never trusted Christ, would you trust him today? Christian? Is he silent? Let's determine, is this a matter of correction? And if it is, let's get it right. If it's a matter of perfection, then lean into it and let him do what he wants to do. And then once we've determined it, what do we do? Repent. Repent. Refocus on who God is and what he's done. Reinforce. Get around other believers that can help you. Rejoice, make the decision to have joy in Jesus. And remember, I believe God's brought us here today to grow closer to him, even when he's silent. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.